0: Yo, head up, think fast, you're about to feel the blast. It's the dopest podcast on the net, oh yeah. All us geeks, fresh your bet. We round the world, we round the net, so get ready and get set. Cause we make it look easy, no sweat. Jeff and Jordan, the host, yeah they be the best. From the north to the south, to the east, to the west. They cover movies, comics, TV shows, books. These guys gonna get you hooked. Don't stop now, just take a look, and don't forget to sign our Facebook, cause what they doing is board games, video games, yeah they on it, they fly like a comet, interviews, you's up, this podcast is pure, give voice to your inner geek, that's for sure, geek out any topic, no one ain't gonna ever, ever stop it, so if you wanna go and get it on, then head to allisgeeks.com.
1: All right. Tonight, uh, we are interviewing, uh, Andrew Parks from Nika WizKids and we will be discussing D&D Attack Wing. Uh, I'll be talking to him and picking his brain about exotic games, his game company, his work with Nika WizKids and some of the projects he's worked on, worked on, uh, on top of D&D Attack Wing and what's coming down the pike for, for D&D Attack Wing. So sit back. Uh, hope you enjoy the listen. All right. This is Jordan Steinhoff, uh, from All Us Geeks. And tonight, uh I have a special guest from uh Kixotic Games, Andrew Parks, and we will be talking uh among other things about Attack Wing Dungeons and Dragons. Andrew, thank you for joining.
2: Hey, thank you for having me, Jordan. I appreciate it.
1: I gotta say, um, you know, we do a lot of interviews, but this is one I'm I was particularly looking forward to because I really love the game. Uh oh, thank I you think, very much. I like both iterations of it. Uh I started with the Star Trek. Um, and the evolution into Attack Wing is, uh, into D&D, I should say, has, has been excellent, I think.
2: Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, we had fun working on both of those games. They've, they've certainly taken over a large share of our lives for the last couple of years. That's for sure.
1: So as I just mentioned, you are actually, uh, Kixotic Games. Um, so for some of our viewers, the uh, viewers, listeners that haven't played Core Worlds or any of the other games you've, uh, developed, Uh, Why don't you give us a little background on yourself?
2: Sure. Yeah. I've been uh, designing games for 10 years. Um, and I've uh, had the opportunity to have, uh, just over 20 of my games published. Um, I don't design my games alone. I have a lot of helpers, uh, that are part of Quixotic Games. I have 16 developers and, uh, sometimes, uh, who act as, sometimes as co-designers. And we've been working together for many years including the five years that I tried to get published, which uh, was a long uphill battle. Um, My first game that was ever published was Ideology, the War of Ideas by Z-Man Games. And um, over time, we also got involved with NECA and WizKids doing licensed properties. And uh, so we've had a lot of amazing privileges that not all designers get to have. Um, And we really are appreciative of that, especially with all of the different licenses that we've worked on. And and a lot of the non-licensed games, for example, Core Worlds, as you mentioned, has been our most critically successful game. That was published by Stronghold Games. Um, so we've really uh, been blessed with a lot of great opportunities as game developers.
1: So when you uh, got involved with uh, NECA and WizKids, did they approach you? Did you approach them? Was it uh, a meeting at a con, just bumping heads? How did that happen?
2: Well, I had many years ago, I had uh, created some games for NECA, um, including uh, the Nightmare Before Christmas trading card game. That was the first licensed game that we worked on, which we still love that game to this day. Uh, Unfortunately, it came out towards sort of the end of the CCG uh, era of greatness, which was in, you know, around 2005 is when the collectible market started having some problems. So that's when our game came out. Uh, But the game was very well-received, and we actually had an expansion come out for it. And then we ended up working on other uh, licensed games, including 300 the Board Game, um, uh, Hogwarts House Cup Challenge. Uh, We even did a Gremlins game. So we did a whole bunch of games for NECA. And then later, NECA acquired WizKids, uh, and WizKids um, asked us uh, if we would like to help them out with some projects. And so that's how sort of that connection happened. Um so we uh worked on the Hunger Games two two Hunger Games products uh and some other smaller projects for uh WizKids and uh then WizKids uh asked us to work on Star Trek Attack Wing and um I don't think anyone had any idea <laughs> what a big game that was going to be. Um neither I don't think either WizKids or us really appreciated the Huge splash that that game was going to have in the industry, and the success of the game, and the success of of the tournaments, and so on. And so later, when they, uh, I had stopped working. I had only worked really on the first few waves of Star Trek Attack Wing. I had been involved online answering questions for about nine months, but most of my work was done on Star Trek Attack Wing, actually, before Star Trek Attack Wing released. Um, and then, uh, but I still continue to, you know, answer questions for as long as the, the expansions that I had worked on were still releasing. And then once the last expansion that I had worked on released, then I, I was no longer working on Star Trek Attack Wing on the forums. Um, uh, but then, uh, WizKids, uh, wanted to create D&D Attack Wing, And I was extremely excited when they approached me to work on that because, uh, you know, I've always been a Star Trek fan, but I've 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 been playing Dungeons and Dragons since I was a kid, and uh, I've played all of the different editions, the basic edition, all of the advanced editions, first, second, third. You know, so I I I really was very comfortable in in Dungeons and Dragons, and 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 bringing those creatures over to the Attack Wing system that I had just spent so much time on ended up being something that was a really enjoyable project.
1: That's great. They both came off the flight path. They're both the flight path system and many of the core mechanics are, are the same between the two. So right. So how much, uh, how much did you, uh, feel needed to be changed to, to embrace the, the fantasy element and how much, um, uh, and I don't know if you can answer this. How much input did, uh, Wizards of the Coast have on what you were doing and, uh, what was your design process going from start, going from sci-fi to fantasy, Star Trek to D&D?
2: Well, we knew right away that the number one thing that we had to work on was, uh, creating mechanics for ground versus air. Um, and WizKids, Uh, was, was involved, you know, in the design process as we talked to them. We didn't, uh, have that direct connection in the beginning with Wizards of the Coast. But when we were working in the beginning on the mechanics of the game, um, WizKids was very interested in developments. And in fact, um, it was WizKids who requested that we create a system for troops, that we have a system where we had troops that were separate uh, figures on separate bases and yet would move and attack together. That was actually their idea. And at first we were like, how the hell are we going to do that? <laughs> That's going to be really hard. Because, you know, traditionally in war games, uh, you have, when you have a troop of figures, they go onto one big base together and then you move that whole giant base. And then as people die, you pull them off of that giant base. So it was WizKids innovation uh, in requesting that we come up with a way to let these guys move around separate and together. And so that was basically that system. That was the inspiration for that system.
1: Had they received feedback on the fighters because it seems very reminiscent of the fighters, the Hideki and the Federation.
2: Absolutely. No, I am sure that it was, it, uh, when we had those first discussions with WizKids, they brought up the fighters right away and they said we wanted to work sort of like the fighters. One of the things that we knew though about the fighters was that the fighters were limited by the fact that you could only have one squadron on the field at the time. There was they were a resource, if you'll remember, in the beginning. And the fact that they had to be attacked so many different times uh meant that if you had those in multiples in a game like Star Trek with no area attacks, you know, it would be broken because it would be nearly impossible to kill them. And so we were really worried about that, that we would have a bunch of these troops on the table and be very difficult to kill. Um, so that's one of the reasons why we came up with the morale check, because although area attacks could kill more than one soldier, it occurred to us that you could get into a situation in the game where the other person does not have an area attack. Maybe their character with the area attack has died, and now they're fighting against five soldiers, and we could get into a situation where they literally must attack that troop five times in order to kill it, and we knew that could make the game extremely unfun and so that's where we came up with the morale system that if you hit the point soldier you make a morale check for all of the other characters um and many people have found because of the prevalence of area attacks in the early metagame of D d attack wing that that troops are a real challenge to play some people have done well with them but others have found them very challenging and we definitely are going to be uh, helping the troops out throughout 2015 and putting out some cool new upgrades that beef them up a little bit as time goes on.
1: I found in the first, what are we now, four months, five months, that uh, I, I don't see the value in putting out all six, but I think they're excellent little skirmishers just at, th- at three, especially with the, the month one OP uh, where it was uh, controlling the, the, the zones for, for a round. To pick up the, uh, 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 so yeah, for all six, for me, I don't think I like them right now, but for little skirmishers just to get around and maybe take pot shots at somebody, I think they're, they're really great for that.
2: Yeah. And I think one of the big challenges of them is, uh, that they could get pounded very quickly. Um, and you're not getting the opportunity to use all of the attributes of the character that you paid for. So that's one of the things, um, that will be coming out later in 2015 there are some special upgrades and uh both monster and heroic upgrade uh that um that will allow you to uh let's just say recapture the glory of when the troop had all of its soldiers in it later in the game so yeah so and it would be dependent upon how many you started with so therefore if you started with 6 you'll have this great moment happen later in the match so um, so that's one of the one of several cards that we're designing for later in 2015 that will uh, take troops and uh, make them more viable in a variety of uh, meta settings.
1: Cool. I noticed right now that there's not a lot of healing in the game. Um, is that uh, something that uh, we can look forward to? Is that part of what you're talking about to uh, kind of restore troops or is that a different concept?
2: Um, no, definitely not restoring the troops. Um, and regarding healing, there will certainly be more, you know, we, we, we start, we, you know, the early part of D and D attack wing, uh, when, when we actually were first play testing it, um, the game was actually too defensive. Like it was, it, what was happening was people were flying around unable to kill each other. Mm -hmm. And so we aired on the side of offense for the early release of d and d attack wings, so if, this, if if people go all in offense in the starter set and in wave one, then the game will go very quickly and we would rather have the game go quickly than have the game overstay its welcome. but once you move past wave one and start getting into the other waves there's more and more opportunities for defense for example, you know starpL the angel has has an innate healing ability there will be more healing type spells. There's a regeneration spell, for example, that will be coming out. Um, So there will be not only ways to restore health to your units, uh, not specifically the troops, but to your other units, Um, but there will also be other ways to set yourselves up for defense uh, so that you can survive several hits. Maybe not the entire game, but particularly to defend yourself from an alpha strike. You know, that was always a big deal with Star Trek. I'm sure you remember this with Star Trek. Yes. You have the Alpha Strike. You come in, everybody's just going to focus on one person. So, therefore, um, that worried us as we worked on this game. And, therefore, as time moves on, you're going to see more anti-Alpha Strike cards, cards that won't protect you the entire game but will be handy. We already have some of those cards, right, like Scatter for the troops and Disperse for the Arakakra Troop. That's a great example of what I'm talking about, a one-shot anti-alpha strike card. Um, So that if you're willing to spend the slot and the points, then you'll be able to keep yourself from being demolished early on. Because, you know, with a lot of the – with all three of the Flight Path games, there is this issue of when you first come on top of each other, it's very difficult to avoid getting attacked in the very beginning of a match. mm mm-hmm. After that first what they call joust, after that first joust, then everything changes. Once you've all slammed into each other, then people start moving around and they're doing wingovers or landing. or And then it's a lot harder to keep everybody in your sights. So therefore, we have found it important to introduce these anti-alpha strike cards so that you have the opportunity to play a particular creature, even though it may be very difficult to avoid getting attacked. Um, during the initial rush at this first couple rounds of the game.
1: Now, you mentioned wanting to, uh, uh, not have Alpha Strike be as prevalent in, in the D and D setting. And I, and I personally appreciate that. But what other, uh, aspects of the Star Trek game did you look at or, or take feedback from the community or, or event runners and say, this is something that A, we definitely want to include, uh, or B, we definitely want to avoid this.
2: Well, you know, there there are definitely several things that we made important changes on based upon feedback from Star Trek. I think the most obvious is the formula that we use for determining the uh, Legion points for each of the creatures. So anyway, uh, with Star Trek Attack Wing, there was a formula, as you know, that was very simple. And for D&D Attack Wing, um, we came up with a much more complex system. The Star Trek Attack Wing formula... um, worked fine uh, despite its simplicity in the earlier waves. But as we came up with more powerful uh, behemoth-type dreadnought uh, ships, that formula was not as successful. Um, so therefore, based upon feedback from the community, we came up with uh, a much more advanced formula system. You know, one of the things that we did in Star Trek, and the reason why the formula worked and I actually haven't talked about this very much, so here you go, this is a little bit exclusive to your show, (laughs) is that a pure formula is not going to work for these games anyway. You still have to measure the gestalt of the unit. So with Star Trek Attack Wing, if we had a ship that seemed particularly powerful for its cost, we would weaken that ship in other ways. We would limit its attack arc. We would limit its maneuverability. We would give it more red maneuvers. So this is a way that we we were able to uh, take that formula system for Star Trek Attack Wing and we were able to make those adjustments so that the ships still felt balanced against each other. And to some extent, we still have to do that for D&D Attack Wing. Even though we have a more advanced formula, you can come up with a certain set of stats that even if you apply the more advanced formula, you're going to find a situation where that unit is still just too powerful or is just too weak for its cost. And we've had to do that a couple of times because a certain combination of abilities are are worth far more than the individual stats. So you can't rely on a pure formula for coming up. We try when we can, and there's certainly plenty of units that clocked in right at their numeric formula, but there are definitely others that we added what we would call surcharges. Well, we're going to surcharge that guy because that maneuverability with that agility makes it very difficult to kill that creature. So therefore, we're going to charge that person a few more points. Or we would take away points if a particular creature may have had a certain weakness that was only seen in combination, say, with its maneuverability and one of its, maybe its health or something like that. So we would make it a little bit cheaper. Um, so that's an interesting thing about the formula for Star Trek that I've never really spoken about is the fact that although we had a simplistic formula, we definitely uh we definitely would make adjustments elsewhere to compensate for that formula whenever possible. Um Another thing, since you asked about changes specifically from Star Trek Attack Wing to D&D Attack Wing, I think one of the other really stark changes, and this is another anti-Alpha Strike, uh, is the fact that the creatures don't die until the end phase. This was a huge moment for us During The design is that when we had switched to make the game a little bit more offensive, and I'm so happy we did because we never would have really discovered this. When we first started playtesting, we didn't really notice as much the difference between a higher level and lower level creatures. Uh, It seems similar to Star Trek. But as we as we pushed the dial a little bit more towards offense, we began to realize how unbelievably frustrating it was to play a lower level creature and to simply not Get to do any of the things you had planned to do with that creature. And that's when we decided to try removing the creatures during the end phase. As soon as we did it, we couldn't believe the effect. I mean, you know, as a designer, I've been designing games for 10 years. I am still sometimes amazed by the math behind a game that you may not have Considered. And when I, I did not consider the, the effect this would have, it made the game so much more fun. And more importantly, it made the game so much more relaxing to play because you no longer felt like you were going to get deprived definitely of being able to participate with that creature. Sure. You could get stunned on the very first attack. Absolutely. And then, yes, that's going to happen. And that's part of the game, but. Before it was, all you had to do is take a certain amount of damage and that creature was no longer participating. So once we made that change, it really changed everything. And and I think that's what people are finding going back to the troops is that uh the troops have the advantage of being able to soak up a lot of damage with one figure, but they don't benefit anywhere near as strongly from that rule change um, as the other creatures do. And I think that's why... People are finding it difficult to play, especially as you said, with a full complement of soldiers in a troop. And that's one of the things that we are addressing throughout 2015.
1: When I, when I read the rule book, when, when WizKids first posted that,
2: I, I felt certain that it
1: must be a, a typo, that units are not removed until the end of the round. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, I just kind of shook my head at that. And I was wondering how that was going to work. But then once we got our first couple of plays in and seeing how, as you said, it, it doesn't add survivability, but at least lets you get use out of that. And, uh, it, I, I thought it was, uh, an excellent evolution of the, uh, same initiative rules from Star Trek. I thought it was an, or at least that's how I view it, an evolution of that. It still lets you get something off, even though you've been destroyed. And I think that's my favorite part of this game right now. Everything is useful. From the first round to the last round, everything's going to get its time.
2: Right. And that's that was definitely the, the exciting thing that we discovered. And the other effect that it's had, actually, is that in uh, in Star Trek Attack Wing, a good offense could be all the defense you needed. And we didn't realize that this had that other effect. In other words, we we want the the player who wins the most at Dungeons and Dragons Attack Wing to be the player that has made the difficult choices and balanced offense with defense. But with the old system, you could just obliterate someone before they could attack, so why in the world would you need defense? And that was one of the things that happened with this new rule, so that now if I send my red dragon in to blast all of your units, I know that even if I have successfully killed them, if I have not taken any defense or I have not cleverly maneuvered myself in such a way that I'm going to be attacked by the fewest number of people, then I'm going to die. And that was not the case in the other game. Particularly with the area attacks, it was even more of an issue. So we had to make sure that this game was just not about take a high-level guy, Give him a big area attack and a huge attack and just send him in to kill everyone and he never gets touched. And that, I think, has been one of the really exciting side effects that we did not anticipate would happen once we moved uh, the, the death of the creatures into the end phase.
1: So one thing that I, I have been wondering is <clears throat> some of the cards, for instance, that came with the White Dragon OP prize. It specifies ancient dragon or must be on large base. And I know that there is a white dragon scheduled for general release, I think like wave six or five or something like that. Wave Six. Yeah. Wave six. Is that going to be as you did with Star Trek figures, the same model, just different cards, or are you going to be doing younger, possibly on smaller base, that kind of stuff or, or both?
2: Um, It, it really depends on which figure we're talking about. If we're talking specifically about white, I can tell you that there's definitely not the case that we're taking uh, the cards all of the cards, excuse me, the creature cards in particular, from a prize figure and just putting them out for retail. Some of the cards will be the same, though. For example, as you can imagine, the cold breath will be there. I think there's at least one other card, I think like Frozen, which I think is the effect of getting hit by the cold breath. That will also be in the retail release. But it's definitely a different creature. And for the most part, the other upgrades are different as well. I, I can't remember if it's the same figure or not. Um, so I don't want to tell you definitively it's the same figure or a different figure. Um, because I'm not really involved with the manufacturing end, but I can tell you that most of the cards in the retail release are definitely different than in the prize figures by and large for all of the different prize figures. I mean, I guess that the difference would be, of course, uh, Tiamat. Um, if Tiamat is used as a prize figure, it will be the same as any other version of Tiamat you could get. But other than, you know, Tiamat, uh, actually, other than Tiamat, all the other prize figures that are coming out, when you see a retail version of those figures, it is mostly new cards. We'll, of course, bring some of the cards in, particularly from the prize figures. We'll take a card here or there that was a part of a prize figure, and we'll start seeding those into some of the retail packs. But the creatures themselves, their identities are definitely different, and most of the upgrades are different.
1: And is that going to stand true for the... um uh, the booster figures as well. Are those going to be re-released or are those strictly going to be available through OP? I,
2: I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. At the moment, I, I, I do not know of any plan to release the booster figures for retail. So that's, that's the, that's all I can tell you. I don't know, uh, if they will or not, but that's definitely something that we're not doing right now. But that doesn't mean that that won't happen later. I just, I honestly have no idea.
1: And just because you brought her up, Tiamat and Muhammad, very big figures. I've seen the the pictures. Are they going to be on larger bases like DS Nine was, for instance, or are are you just-
2: definitely? Yeah, I think it's been spoiled already. You mentioned online that they're definitely on bigger than the three inch bases. Um, they're the same shape as the other bases, so it's not like DS Nine. I'm not I'm not familiar with the new release of DS Nine. I've been sort of out of touch with Star Trek Attack Wing, but if we're if we're talking about the the DS nine that was given out as OP six, which had that sort of special round base.
1: Yeah, It's not
2: like that. It's not like that. No, they're definitely still square bases, but they're big and play testing them was a challenge as you can imagine, because they, uh, they take up a lot of real estate on the table. So it was important to us. There's a big advantage to that. The there's advantage and disadvantage. The advantage is that it's really hard to get out of their arc during the first two rounds. It's extremely difficult. Uh, but of course, it's nearly impossible for them to get out of someone else's arc, uh, during those first couple of rounds as well, because they're so big. They're giant targets. But because of the, adva- I think the advantage of a big base outweighs the disadvantage of a big base, uh, because they still, I've still seen, uh, Tiamat and Bahamut slip, slip past players who have misjudged where they were going to go. So the cost for those creatures in Legion points is very high. I can't tell you what the number is, but I can tell you it is extremely high. <laughs> it's it's not so high that they can't be used in 120-point tournament, but I think I mentioned in another interview that you could definitely fill out Tiamat uh, or Bahamut up to 120 points with their upgrades. Nice. Yeah, so you can go in solo with them. Uh, if you, if you're only going, if they're, if they're in a 90 point, uh, you're not going to have very much on them. Um, but if they're 120 point, you can fill them out with all the bells and whistles and, you know, have fun with them. They, they have, it's very challenging to have only one figure in this game because, as you know, there are plenty of things in this game that can pick on you if you don't have a high agility and, you know, they don't. (laughs) So. So they have to make sure if they're going to try to be viable, they have to make sure that they load up on defenses or they literally will be shut down the first turn of the game because there are so many ways to shut down a figure in this game that has a low agility and that's by design. We definitely want to make sure that a big figure doesn't just enter the game and kill everyone so they can be feared. They can have all of the terrible things that can happen to one figure can happen to them. Um, in particular, that can happen to a figure with no agility. And there are defenses like legendary resistance, for example, draconic resistance as another example. But then you have to invest those slots, those valuable slots in that defense. And that becomes the give and take of your building of your creature.
1: Currently, there's, well, currently it's not going to change. There's 40 plus figures in the, in the set that wizards released for, uh, tyranny of dragons for the RPG side of it. Uh, are you guys going to be doing something for all 44-ish figures or do you just, did you, have you got everything planned out that you're doing and there's some stuff that we're not going to be seeing from
2: the RPG side of it? Are you talking about the icons of the realms figures? Yes. Um, yeah, I think that you'll be seeing some more of those than you've seen. Uh, I don't think we are doing every single figure because there's the unique challenge in D&D Attack Wing that a creature really needs to be able to fly or to be able to have a ranged attack or a spell attack. There are a couple of exceptions. You know, we have the paladin with the challenge or we have the, uh, the half black dragon with the, uh, with the little minor acid breath. So there are some small exceptions to that. But in general, there are definitely figures that I, I, don't think would work in D&D Attack Wing. So there will certainly be figures in icons of the realms that do not appear in D&D Attack Wing.
1: On a lot of the, uh actually on all the solicitations I've seen for Future Waves, um, there's just Warrior. There's like two descriptors, you know, actual named characters or, you know, definite creature types and then Warrior. So are you just not sure of release schedules where these are going to fit in? Or uh are you just playing things close to the vest?
2: This is definitely a playing things close to the vest. Those those uh, expansions have been designed already. Um, but WizKids uh is going to uh, announce what those uh warriors are whenever they feel that they're ready. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> but but they're all designed, so um so it's not a question of not being sure when they're gonna release. It's just a question of uh when WizKids uh chooses to reveal their identities.
1: And I'm sure I'm not the first person to ask this. I'm sure I'm not going to be the last if you do even one more interview. With the uh Silver Dragon came a Dragon Rider. Has there been any thought, uh, you or you personally or officially with WizKids of Dragonlance?
2: I definitely am not involved in anything to do with Dragonlance, uh, so I can't. There's definitely that doesn't mean that that whiz kids you know wouldn't do something like that in the future, but I have absolutely no knowledge of it, so let it not be said that I'm saying, oh yeah, that could happen. <laughs> i I have absolutely no idea as to whether that would happen in the future. right now, everything that we're working on very closely is forgotten realms. so that's all that we're working on exclusively. I have no information about anything else that would that would ever change that and it may never change it may always just be forgotten realms i'm well, not sure that
1: was just a little fanboy for me that was no that problem was my question for me
2: <laughs> <laughs> that's no problem
1: um and you may have answered my next question this past week wizards announced their next line elemental evil has <clears throat> wiz kids uh, discussed that as well or are you still just working on tyranny and, and beyond that is still uh, up in the air
2: I that's definitely something that I can't uh, reveal right now. <laughs> so I can't say what I know that uh, through I actually mentioned today on one of the forums that we're working on tyranny of dragons through OP six beyond that uh, has not been announced. And definitely I am not announcing it. <laughs> so we, when WizKids announces it, then I'll be happy to talk about what's going to happen after tyranny of dragons.
1: Well, that op six that just spurred a question for me. I don't know how you how much you stay up on the Star Trek side, but you know they did their big op and then a couple small you know three part ops, and in between they had their episodic ops, the Gorn and the Tholian web, and now they're doing some Q related stuff. Is their plans for that uh, on the D and D side just kind of one shots rather than? Uh, yeah I think,
2: I think every once in a while you'll see just mm-hmm. a one shot op sort of a special adventure maybe with a special prize figure. Uh, I mean, I mean by a special prize figure, I mean a prize figure like you normally get at an op not mm-hmm. not a grand prize figure um in a in a one shot but uh for the for the uh, post op six, yeah, you may see uh, a one shot here or there. Uh, I'm not gonna talk about when that would happen um, but you also see series as well, you know, similar to Tyranny of Dragons, a series of OPs of different sizes.
1: Oh, cool. That's, uh, that's good to know. Um, and then the question that, uh, may, may cause you to scream or, 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 or maybe you're just not involved at all is the rules forums that Wizards <clears throat> has started. I see a lot of vitriol online, more on the Star Trek side than the D&D side. But are you involved in the rules team? Uh, and their rulings do you post online? or uh if not you posting do they uh work with you as one of the you know lead co-designers or are are they doing their own thing with the rules So uh, oh, that sounded Star-
2: bad. I I didn't mean it that way. Oh no, that's fine. No, it's 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 totally cool. For Star Trek Attack Wing, um I'm not involved with the game anymore, so you know, every once in a while I'll talk to Chris Guild or uh I will talk to someone from WizKids who has a question about why we ruled a certain way back in the day on Star Trek Attack Wing. But I am definitely not involved with the Star Trek Attack Wing rules form. For the D&D rules form, I am extremely involved. I would say probably I answer 95% of the questions personally. Um, what will happen is WizKids will send me those questions and I will respond as quickly as I can. And they're amazing at posting. I mean, I have I literally, I'll sometimes get like five or six emails with questions before I'm done sending the sixth response. The earlier response I just sent in five minutes ago is already posted on the forum. Um, so they are the direct stewards of the forums, but most of the D&D attack wing questions that you see there are questions that I answer. So, uh, and there hasn't been very much controversy for D&D attack wing questions um, a couple times people have asked us to explain why we ruled a particular way or whatever. But yeah, it's been pretty uh, calm, actually. It's been pretty nice uh, for D and d attack wing things. Uh, people seem to be happy with the rulings that we've made so far. And most of the rulings that I, I would say at least sixty percent of the rulings that are coming in uh, are stuff that could be answered right in the rule book, and that makes sense because the game is new. And it certainly, it has a 40 page rule book. So certainly people will miss a sentence here or there. Uh, and often I'll just refer them to that page. Sometimes there's something which uh, is like an interaction question, like this card and this card. It's not really quite covered in the rule book. So that will be a type of question we'll get. And those are usually very easy to answer. There are also a couple of things that I wish we had put into the rule book, which are going to be clarified. Uh, more clearly in an FAQ, which I'm working on right now. I think one of the most famous examples of something that just didn't get into the rule book, but it was on my list was the fact that you can't, a single creature can't have two of the same exact effect token on them at the same time. So if somebody hits you with slow breath, somebody else can't also hit you with slow breath. And that just, that just got missed in the rule book. That's my fault. I had it on my list. It didn't go in there. So we've answered a couple of, like someone asked today or yesterday about deadly venom from the Waverne, uh, or Wyvern uh, expansion? What happens if you have two of those? And I had to quickly write, no, you can't have two of those. Sorry, we're going to be updating the FAQ with that. So that's just an example. So there's a couple of questions for things that just got missed that create an ambiguous space in the rules. So those I, of course, answer as quickly as I can. And we'll be putting out a short FAQ, I'd say sometime within the next month, that covers a lot of those little questions that that either I missed or in hindsight should have been put into the rule book to make things less ambiguous. So when
1: you're not grinding away on D related matters, are you or, or exotic games working on other things or are you like exclusive with Nico WizKids right now?
2: Uh, I, you know, I, I do a lot of game design, as you know, I, for a lot of different companies, certainly for the past, I would say 14 or 15 months. I've been working almost exclusively on WizKids projects. The only other project I had uh, outside of WizKids was uh, an expansion for my game Core Worlds, which released in October, Core Worlds Revolution. Um, Other than that, we've been working on D&D Attack Wing very steadily because we're creating four expansions plus an OP scenario. uh, Excuse me, three expansions plus an OP scenario, which is like a fourth expansion. We do that every single month. So that takes several weeks to do out of our month. And then we also have other projects that we work on for WizKids. For example, uh, in March, we have X-Men Mutant Revolution, um, which is a board game coming out, which is a re-implementation of uh, the Spartacus game. Mm-hmm. So that was a really exciting project. And I'm a huge Marvel Comics fan, so I was very excited to work on that project. And I have another big project that uh, that my team and I are working on for WizKids right now but which uh is definitely i think several months away from being announced okay
1: and my last question just because we're we're pushing 40 minutes here and i don't want to take your whole evening um sure. when you're not grinding away at all your work stuff what do you do what are the games you play uh just mm-hmm. to sit down chill out and take your mind off everything
2: that's a great question you know i have a lot of different favorite types of games i i I design games for a lot of different genres, not thematic but mechanical genres, you know. Uh, I love card games, those are probably in general my favorite games. Um I've been playing uh a lot of San Juan. They just did the, the new release of San Juan uh which is uh, greatly improved. Uh we play we like to play Seven Wonders especially when we're playing with people who are new to games. Um I also get into heavier games War of the Ring um by Nexus and Fantasy Flight is uh one of my absolute uh favorite games of all time. That board game. It's a very heavy game, but it's it's really exciting. Um so I, I play a lot, I like card games, but I like Euro games. I also play some hardcore uh strategy games. So um those are the ones that I've probably been playing the most. I've also been playing that game Imperial Settlers, which came out, which we really I played that at least a half a dozen times in the past month. You know, it's important as a designer that you're constantly playing games so that you understand not only can you, oh, this is a a great solution to this problem, right? You know, there's always could be some sort of new way of approaching a problem, Um, and another designer may discover it, and then you'll notice other designers start approaching that problem the same exact way. So that's really important. And the other thing is it helps you get a sense of the trend of the industry. Like there are certain types of games – uh, that people are playing are certain types of rules that people don't seem to want anymore um, and playing other games is really helpful one of the things for example that we've discovered uh, just over the past 10 years is that calculations need to be done more frequently now by the designer and not by the players so the days you know it Certainly, you go back to the 80s, right? The Avalon Hill games with all the charts and look this up. Those have been gone for a long time. But even since that time, even just lots of addition and multiplication seems to be less enjoyable to players now than it had been a decade ago. And that what that does is it makes us better designers because that means that we have to do twice as much work to have the same level of mathematical depth to the game without forcing the players... To have to do all of those calculations during the course of the game, so that's one of the things you notice when you play a lot of the new games that are out there. That that's one of the trend. Another big trend of the industry is that games with a lot of different phases are becoming less common. I think it's becoming more common now to give more freedom to a player on their turn, so that they don't have to move and then attackness. And I know, of course, we we do Attack Wing, right, which does have that four phase system. But more and more in the future, we're seeing games that are on your turn. You do one or two things. You could do any two things you want just because you're moving doesn't mean I'm moving. Maybe I'm attacking or whatever. So when you play a lot of games, you begin to realize as a designer, I think I'm seeing what it is that people are finding more enjoyable. How can I implement that into my games?
1: Cool. Well, I'd like to thank you once again for, for joining me tonight. Uh, I've really enjoyed talking to you. As I said at the beginning, I think you've got two really great games here and I definitely love the D and D, the D and D, uh, theme uh, of the most recent version of attack wing. So Andrew, thank you for joining me tonight. And yeah, thank
2: you. Thank you, Jordan, for having me. I really appreciate it. It was a good time. Thank you.
1: All right, everybody. That was Andrew parks with Nika Wiskids talking about, uh, D and D attack wing.
2: Thank you for checking out a United geeks network family member. If you enjoyed it and are looking for other online media with a geek culture slant, head over to unitedgeeksnetwork.com where you will find Rolling Dice and Taking Names, a podcast by guys who have a passion for tabletop games and happen to have mics. They discuss all forms of tabletop gaming from board games to miniatures to RPGs. The United Geeks Network. You can broadcast your geekiness at unitedgeeksnetwork.com.
0: That's where we unleash the bomb, Jeff and Jordan, from coast to coast, best of the best, the number one host, so put up your cups and toast, cause here the end we approach, but come back for more raps, more fun, more laughs, mow this, mow that, up and down the mat, cause we geeked up, and thanks for showing love, we give up viewers thanks, with knowledge in the bank, cause y'all are top rank, and never should be spanked.